Chess. <laughs> Later, let's play Global Thermonuclear War. Fine. How about not playing a game of thermonuclear war? I would prefer that. But don't worry, kids, we'll get to our topic, going nuclear. First, let me give you some updates. I have secured employment, well, re-secured employment, technically, because I am returning to the school, the music school that I was previously teaching at and left about six, I guess, weeks ago. However, the music director is leaving the school, and they have offered me the position of music director, which pays significantly more than what I was making before, enough at least that I can pay my bills. Maybe with a little DoorDash on the side, but I loved the job, so the opportunity to return to the school, to my kids, to do that job, and to be in charge of all the stuff that happens from an instruction and a performance perspective, that's friggin' awesome. So I am super excited. It's not gonna change anything with the podcast. Just wanted to let y'all know, Jeffy found a job. Well, found the same job I just left, but kind of a new job. I don't know how that works. Also, really quick, I wanna mention... I held a very large garage sale over the weekend. I have acquired so much crap. My grandma died almost three years ago. And prior to her death, about a, I don't know, a year, maybe two years prior, she broke a hip. And at this point, she was in her early to mid-90s. And it was just decided that she was no longer able to live by herself in the home that she had lived in since she had basically eloped and gotten married at a very, very young age. And let's just say my grandma, she liked to... Yes, mom, I know. I can hear you in my head saying, just say it. She's a hoarder. Well, I guess kind of, but also a collector. Things were in pretty good shape. And when she was no longer able to live at the house and they were like, well, we're going to have to sell this house. I said, hold on. I've seen a lot of episodes of American Pickers. Let me come check it out. What most people see as junk, we see as dollar signs. We'll buy anything we think we can make a buck on. Each item we pick has a history all its own. And I ended up extracting two van loads worth of stuff from the house. This was after my mom and my uncle had gone through the house and gotten the family heirlooms and antiques and things that they wanted. So this was the leftovers. But these leftovers, they were pretty tasty. Mm. However, now that I'm an empty nester, I may want to downgrade at some point in the near future. I've just got too much shit accrued. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to try and sell some stuff off. Not just my grandma's stuff. And some of that stuff, yeah, I'm keeping because it's important to me and it's important history, but some of it just doesn't make sense for me to keep like an old 1960s typewriter.
It has no meaningful value, but I've just got a lot of stuff that I have accrued and built up over the years that I just don't need anymore. And why not try and make a little moolah off the shit that I've got while also clearing out a lot of shit that's just been sitting primarily in the basement of my house not being used. Like, for example, I had a 32-inch TV on sale for $10, been used like three times. Now, I'm going to be honest, I have not done a garage sale in decades, so I wasn't really sure what to expect. Luckily, in this day and age, I have the ability to go on like Facebook and post the fact that I'm having the sale, show some pictures, and let my surrounding community and neighborhood know that I'm having the sale so I don't really have to put up signs. And pretty much through the course of all of last week, I started kind of staging things, getting things out of the basement or out of my bedroom that I wanted to sell, and getting them in the front room of my house that I don't really use for anything other than like music equipment storage. And then on Friday, it was time to start staging. So starting around three o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, I started to set the tables up, start placing everything out. I had an idea. I'm going to do a $1 table, a $5 table, a $10 table, a $20 table, and then I'm going to have the high dollar items in the back, which would be the antiques or just simply things that are over $20. All in all, I had well over $2,000 worth of ticketed items in my garage. Very well organized, very well displayed, and I was going to run the sale on Saturday from noon to 4 because the Buckeyes were playing at 4 o'clock, and I knew here in Central Ohio, yeah, that's not going to really draw a lot of people after the game starts. Then I was going to do 12 to 7 on Sunday. I will tell you that between noon and noon 30 on Saturday, the first day, that is where I made probably about 90% of my sales. And there were a lot of people there. Those are the people that they want to get first dibs. And it was swarmed, swamped. Holy crap, I can't keep up with everyone asking me about this and that. People are putting things in buckets and bundling, if you will. Then I had some stragglers for the next, I don't know, hour. Then pretty much from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. So on Sunday, I'm like, well, I mean, I'm going to do noon to seven. That was my plan. But it was very thin. Not a whole lot of activity. May have made, I don't know, 100 bucks the entire day. And at this point, I had actually turned all of my tables into two for tables. So the $1 table was two for a buck. The $5 table was two for five. The 10 you get the point. But I didn't want to have to carry this shit back inside or figure a place to store it. The whole goal was to to try and clear all of this unnecessary stuff out while putting a little coin in my pocket. And no, I did not go until 7 o'clock on Sunday. It was worthless. After about 2 o'clock, once again, sat out in the garage. 3 o'clock rolls around. No one showed up. 3.30, no one showed up. 4 o'clock, no one showed up. 4.20, no one showed up. Alright, I guess I'm just gonna shut the door and be done with this. Now, luckily because I was able to post pictures and things online, I've actually had a few people reach out to me following the sales. Matter of fact, I sold two old vintage newspapers about man walking on the moon. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. 
just a few hours ago for $70, almost what I made on my entire sale day on Sunday, but I only had to just sit in my house, wait for my doorbell to ring, have the guy come inside, say, here's the papers. But yeah, lesson learned, pretty much all of the sales are going to happen right away. Now, I did not bother really bringing the stuff back in the house. I brought a few things back in the house that I don't want in the garage because the temperatures are dropping. For the most part, though, I am now going to start individually photographing all of that shit, put it on Facebook Marketplace, and just try and sell it one item at a time. Or if I want to, just pull the tables back out into the middle of the garage, put my van on the street, and have another garage sale next weekend, or the weekend after that, or the weekend after that, until it's all gone. All right, I have a lot to unpack with the topic going nuclear. But first, let me remind you that you can follow me on social media on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff. All right, so let's get into it. Let's start with Putin. Yes, I'm still talking about Putin. Those of you who are regular listeners know that I started talking about the Russian invasion on Ukraine. Back when it started, and I would discuss it briefly for a few weeks, and then I finally said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not talking about this anymore. This isn't going to be a weekly update. I'm not a news broadcast. I will only bring this up again if there is an end to the conflict or if something significant happens. Well, it's kind of escalated a little bit. Let's play Global Thermonuclear War. Fine. Primarily due to the fact that Putin is now threatening the use of using nuclear weapons. Now, let me be clear, his language and the broadcast that I've seen has been him saying, I have no problem using nuclear weapons if for some reason someone uses a nuclear weapon on me or against my troops in Ukraine. So he's not really implying first strike or as Rambo would say, first blood. They drew first blood, not me. Look, Johnny. Let me come in and get you the hell out of there. They drew first blood. Additionally, President Biden has recently said that we are closer to the brink of a nuclear war than we have been in over 60 years. Ah! That means, well, he kind of takes the threat a little seriously. When he's not napping, of course. So, up to this point, the UN nations, including America, they've been pretty standoffish in how much support and help we offer to Ukraine. We don't really want to get involved because we know that it is essentially going to be a declaration of war against Russia. And we know that a declaration of war against Russia, well, that pretty much signals World War III, nuclear war. Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? All right, so how serious is Putin about his nuclear threats? Well, I will tell you that Russia's Belgorod, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's a submarine and it recently disappeared from its Arctic harbor where it normally stays, or at least where it's been since July. Now, this submarine carries what known to be a doomsday weapon known as Poseidon that Russia has claimed is capable of creating a radioactive tsunami. Any of this sound like science fiction to you guys? A radioactive tsunami. That's fucked up. Now, of course, there's a chance that he just moved that sub to create all of the hubbub. Hey, that almost rhymed. You're a poet and don't know it. And my feet show it because they're Longfellows. 
But he could have just done that as a show of force. Hey, your sub moved with the doomsday weapon on it. That's pretty scary because it's freaking everybody out. Also, you'll see a lot of videos on like TikTok or social media of missiles on trucks, nuclear missiles being transported through the streets of Moscow or Russia. I will warn you all not to consider this to be fact because I did a little research and for the most part, it's actually been determined that the majority, if not all of these videos are proven to have been previously released as long as 12 years ago. So people are just kind of using scare tactics like assholes on social media to try and drive up likes and subscribers when that's not really what's happening. I don't know if Putin is batshit crazy. Maybe he is that crazy. But I would suspect that if he was that crazy, he would have done so already. He would have said, fuck it. I'm pressing the button. Here we go. Everybody put on your big boy pants. It's about to get real up in this piece. So while it is alarming, I am not convinced that it is inevitable in any stretch of the imagination, but also don't consider it to be inconceivable. All right, so you know me, love my learning moments on the show. There's going to be a lot of learning. Let's talk about the history of nuclear weapons. So Albert Einstein is typically wrongly considered to be the creator of the atomic bomb. He is not. However, in 1905, he did mathematically prove the existence of atoms, known as the atomic theory. But he never worked on an atomic bomb and simply came up with a theory that we're all very familiar with, E equals MC squared, which basically explains the energy released in an atomic bomb, but not how to build one. That's like saying I'm going to give you the theory of how water can flush, but I'm not actually going to discuss the toilet or any of the mechanics. That was a shitty analogy. So, for for all of you dummies out there, myself included, let's talk about what E equals MC squared is all about. So what that means is that energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Not going to get too deep on this because it would be boring. But essentially in a nuclear explosion, the production of nuclear power from uranium or plutonium relies on the principles of radioactivity from fusion and fission, which is described and theorized by E equals MC squared. And just so you know, the radioactivity that's used in like x-rays or chemotherapy, completely different, does not use the theory of E equals MC squared. Also, if you're like, well, what about fusion and fission? You didn't explain that. Don't worry. I will. We'll get there, but let's move on for now. So the actual inventor or creator of the atomic bomb is considered to be a man by the name of Robert Oppenheimer. But let's rewind. In 1939, scientists around the world learned that German physicists had figured out how to split a uranium atom. Oh. This was scary, because they're like, oh no, what are they going to do with that? And around this time, Einstein had fled Nazi Germany and come to the United States, and upon learning about Germany's discovery, he wrote a letter to President Roosevelt urging for the development of an atomic research program, because he was totally wigged out that Germans might soon be able to build an atomic weapon. Roosevelt wasn't totally convinced, but he was willing to put a little bit of money into it and do it very quietly. Finally, by late 1941, the project was given its code name in the government known as, which you may have heard, the Manhattan Project. So now flash forward to December 1942, a scientist Enrico Fermi, an Italian man who, just like Einstein leaving Nazi Germany, had fled fascist Italy. That's us. 
Pricey made the ball! He led a group of physicists to produce the first controlled nuclear chain reaction. And let me tell you, this first nuclear chain reaction happened, not making this shit up, under the grandstands of Stag Field at the University of Chicago. So, yes, nuclear chain reactions were discovered amidst a littering of old popcorn, candy wrappers, and ticket stubs. Hot dog here! Hot dog! Finally, after the discovery of the nuclear chain reaction, Roosevelt was convinced he sunk a shit ton of money into things, and multiple nuclear facilities were built and funded, with the main assembly plant being based in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Here's where we bring Oppenheimer back into the picture. He was the one who led the facility in Los Alamos to develop the science into the first atomic bomb. Finally, by the summer of 1945, they felt, hey, we've got something we think we can test. And on July 16th, 1945, the first atomic bomb test took place near Alamogordo, New Mexico. Hoping I got that right. Now, technically, the bomb was not dropped, but was actually affixed atop a 100-foot tower and was detonated by a controlled device. And, of course, you had a ton of scientists and representatives of the facility that were there on hand to watch from a safe distance the detonation of the first test of an atomic bomb. And they were not prepared for what was about to happen. Upon detonation, the bomb created a blinding flash that was visible for, get this, 200 miles. That's us. That means if the bomb was set off in Columbus, Ohio, where I live, people in Cleveland would have been able to see the flash. It generated a mushroom cloud that reached 40,000 feet. If you're not sure how high 40,000 feet is, that is the maximum certified altitude for pretty much all commercial airliners. That is the highest they can actually fly. Yes, we have other planes, jets that can go higher than that. I'm speaking about commercial airliners. Stay with me. The Blast blew out windows of civilian homes up to 100 miles away. That is a long distance. It also left a crater in the earth despite being propped up on a 100-foot tower that was a half mile wide and actually turned the sand into glass. Inconceivable! Yes, it caused the sand below the blast site to undergo a metamorphosis into glass. That's pretty cool. It's freaky, but it's pretty cool. Alright, so again, that was July 16th, 1945, the very first test of an atomic bomb. Let's fast forward to August 6th 1945, only 21 days after that first test, out of retaliation for Pearl Harbor during World War II, President Truman ordered the dropping of atomic bombs in Japan. So, again, 21 days after the very first test, it's not very long, to utilize something, the famous aircraft, the Enola Gay. I feel like this is really... um could be like kind of naughty, but it's not. Dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima. 
approximately 70,000 citizens were instantly vaporized, with another 100,000 dying from radiation sickness or burns. Three days later, on August 9th, another bomb was dropped on the city of Nagasaki, killing another 80,000 Japanese citizens. Finally, on August 14th, the Japanese surrendered. August 14th? Talk about stubborn Japanese people. You waited five days to surrender after a second atomic bomb? What? I will point out that one thing that I set out for my garage sale that hasn't sold that my grandma had is the newspaper the day after Japan surrendered. In big blue letters at the top of the page, which was rare to see color on a newspaper, it said, PEACE! And then it referred to the Japanese as Japs oh. in large boldface print in the headline, something you're definitely not going to see in this day and age. But that was the last time that a nuclear or atomic bomb has been used in warfare. So it's been used twice by the United States on Japan. That's it. Never again. There's been tests, but there's never been an attack from a warfare perspective using a nuclear or atomic bomb because everyone realizes the ramifications that come along with the mass destruction. That's where you get WMD, weapons of mass destruction. So we're talking over 77 years since the first and last time that atomic bombs were used. Now, at the time, we weren't really risking being on the brink of nuclear war because no other country had developed an atomic bomb at this point. They couldn't retaliate in the same fashion. However, by 1962, the Russians had also developed the technology to create their own atomic warheads. And when Biden refers to the fact that we are now the closest to nuclear war than we have been in 60 years, he's referring to the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. This was a 35-day confrontation in October and November of 1962, and it was basically over the fact that Russia did not want the United States to invade Cuba. It was very tense for those 35 days, and many people feared total global nuclear war. But cooler heads prevailed, and the crisis was averted. Wow! <laughs> I mean, that was close. <laughs> we can laugh about it now. We're all right, you know. <laughs> all right. I know I said earlier I'm going to discuss fission versus fusion. Maybe you forgot I even brought that up because it's a very nerdy thing. But I'm going to discuss it anyway. I just want to explain the difference between weapons that we had then and the weapons that we have now. So the older weapons and maybe some of the current weapons that are just a little less powerful use fission. And this is what would be used in what's considered a nuclear or an atomic bomb. So basically with fission, the atoms in uranium or plutonium are split into smaller atoms and with E equals MC squared creates a pretty nasty blast. Now fusion, well, boy, this one's a little bigger. Fusion is used in what are considered to be thermonuclear or hydrogen bombs, different from atomic or nuclear bombs. And in this process, the atoms of uranium or plutonium are actually fused into larger atoms. A lot of times, it actually goes back and forth between fission and fusion. It's this, it happens so fast. That's the whole E equals MC squared, C being the speed of light squared. It's so fast that things are happening before other things can happen, creating fission, fusion, fission, fusion, fusion. Fission fusion. Now that I say that, that sounds like a cool seafood restaurant. Come on down to fish. 
Fish and Fusion. We infuse fish in everything you're gonna eat. You like french fries? How about I infuse some crab into it? You like cheesecake? I'm gonna infuse a little bit of tilapia. You're welcome. So come on down to Fish and Fusion. But the main thing to know is that bombs that use fusion, the thermonuclear or hydrogen bombs, they can be thousands of times more powerful than the fission bombs. The fission bombs being the ones that they used over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You know, vaporizing 70,000 citizens instantly. Those are the weak ones. All right, so let's talk about the countries that have nuclear capability. That's always, you know, the concern. That's why we went into Iraq. We got to find these. WMDs, they're not allowed to have them. Well, why aren't they allowed to have them? Just because they're evil? What about Italy? Are they allowed to have nuclear weapons? They're not evil. What about New Zealand and Australia? Are they allowed to have nuclear weapons? They're not evil. Well, in 1970, there was the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, or the NPT, and it was created to stop the spread of nuclear weapons by designating countries that were allowed to own nuclear weapons. And it was only five countries. The United United States, Russia, France, UK, and China. That's it. Everybody else, based on this treaty, if you own nuclear weapons, you are violating pretty much global law. So Italy, New Zealand, Australia, no nuclear weapons for you, which honestly I think is a little messed up. I mean, why are we allowed to dictate what countries are allowed to protect themselves or develop technology in the event of some major catastrophe or global war? But it just goes to show what countries have all of the power. Let me reiterate, those countries are the United States, Russia, France, UK, and China. Why do the French need nuclear weapons? Aren't they pretty synonymous with not really wanting to fight a whole lot. But in the end, this whole NPT, I mean, it really didn't work because currently there are nine known countries with nuclear weapons. That's four more than they're supposed to be. Just in case you suck at math or lost a hand in a horrible fireworks accident. So let's look at these countries. We'll work our way up from the ones with the least amount of nukes, the country with the least amount being North Korea. Now we know evil pieces of shit. Matter of fact, they were just launching missiles recently over Japan, freaking all of Japan out and causing air raid sirens to go off because they wanted to test their nuclear capabilities. But it's estimated that they have 50 nuclear weapons right now. Israel, 90. India, 156. Pakistan, 165. The fact that Israel and Pakistan hate each other so much, and between the two of them have 255 nuclear weapons, I am amazed we have not seen nuclear weapons lobbed across the Gaza Strip to resolve that conflict once and for all. The UK, so Britain, they have 225. France has 290. China, 350. The United States, 5,550. And Russia, finally, the leader of nuclear armament, 6,257 nuclear missiles or weapons. Now, 
keep in mind, it's not like every country is going to report every missile or weapon that they have. North Korea, they're not, we would like to send you an Excel spreadsheet. We have added two missiles to our armament. We want to be on the up and up. For all we know, they have 100, 200, who knows? The U.S. says they have 5,550. You think that's it? You think they're actually being 100% transparent about what their force is? I mean, maybe they only have 1,000. Maybe they're doing that to try and make it sound like their dick is bigger than it actually is. Maybe Russia's doing the same thing because that's a big number. But still, you know, I don't really put a whole lot of faith in the fact that these numbers are wholly accurate. But in the event that they were, that would mean currently there is a total of 13,133 nuclear weapons or missiles on the planet. Out of that, 90% are in the United States or Russia. So while doing all of my research, I came across different articles that reference something called Nuke Map, which apparently is like a website you can go to and you can say, all right, let's say I want to drop this type of bomb or nuclear weapon on this city. Let's look at the impact that it has, how the winds will carry the radiation to other cities. And it was pretty interesting. But while, you know, granted being quite morbid, if you want to play around on this website yourself, you can go to nuclearsecrecy.com slash nuke map nuke map all one word all lowercase so i was like okay well what happens with major cities or targets around me how safe am i so let's look at chicago illinois which is approximately 350 miles away from where i'm at if a massive nuclear weapon the size of the biggest nuclear weapon that the united states owns were to land in chicago illinois it would have no impact on me or the city of columbus ohio and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the weather and the winds tend to shift northeast. So the blast zone and that radius wouldn't extend, you know, 300 miles and all of the winds are now going into northern Michigan, Canada. I'm cool. Also, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, only 180 miles away. If a nuclear missile the size of the U.S.'s largest nuclear missile and warhead landed in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I would be A-OK. Perfectly fine. No side effects. The same would be true for Cleveland, only 140 miles away. Or Mansfield, Ohio, only 65 miles away. But because it's north of me, I really wouldn't have to worry about it. Now, going back to those wind patterns... She's like the wind Through my tree Unfortunately, if Putin decided, I do not like the country music, and decided to drop nukes on Nashville, I mean, I would be in the path of the winds, but overall, I would be pretty much okay. I would only be exposed to, like, minimum radiation levels, but they would almost completely dissipate before they would reach Columbus, Ohio. So I decided to look at what would happen if a large thermonuclear bomb landed in the heart of Columbus, Ohio, right in the smack-dab center of downtown. Now, keep in mind... I live on the outskirts of the Outer Belt in a slightly more rural area. Rural. As I have discussed many times in the past, I am to the east, so that doesn't help me from a wind perspective. But pretty much based on this Nuke Maps website, if a thermonuclear bomb, the largest the United States is known to have, landed in downtown Columbus, I could survive that. I would be in what is called the light blast damage radius. So maybe 
maybe I would have some windows shatter. If I were to be outside, I could experience third-degree burns. That doesn't sound fun. Now, if we talk about the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima, known as the Little Boy, that was the name of that bomb, if that landed in downtown Columbus, I really wouldn't suffer anything. I'd basically just get a really cool light show out of it. All this to say, I mean, pretty much, I'm feeling pretty upbeat about my survival chances in a nuclear war. Yeah, but what about nuclear winter, Jeff? Well, actually, there are conflicting ideas on whether nuclear winter is as bad as what they've told us it's going to be. For those of you who don't know, nuclear winter would be like the after effects of a nuclear war, which would block out sunlight, kill crops. So it's based on the idea that in a global thermonuclear war, there would be massive fires that would just kick a ton of soot up into the environment, which would eventually reach our stratosphere or what we know as the ozone. And because that's higher than where our weather systems and clouds are, it wouldn't rain up there. So therefore, there's nothing to push that soot back down to cause it to settle. So it would just kind of float around in the stratosphere and block out the sunlight, which would cause temperatures to drop and keep the crops from growing. I did find one study from 2018 that theorized that it would take approximately 100 nukes to cause the effect of nuclear winter. And that doesn't have to be widespread. If we just fired 100 nukes at China and they all landed in China, the global effect would be widespread. So about 100 nukes is what is needed based on this study to create nuclear winter for the entire planet. Because of that, these researchers argued that there's no reason for any single country to own more than 100 nuclear weapons. Because even if you fired off all of your weapons that you have, you're essentially assuring the destruction of society for you and everyone else on the planet. Speak of mutually assured destruction. Nice story. Let me point out that the United States has 55 times more that amount. Russia has 62 times more that amount. North Korea, who isn't even allowed to have nuclear weapons, they have half that amount. And pretty much all the other six countries that I mentioned that have nuclear capabilities, well, they're capable of bombing themselves and causing nuclear winter. They don't even have to be an asshole and bomb anyone else. But what about Star Wars? No, I'm not talking about the movie Star Wars or the thousands of spinoffs on Disney+. Plus. Star Wars was a program created by President Ronald Reagan in 1983, and the goal was to create a bunch of, like, space-based X-ray lasers that would detect and deflect any incoming nukes from Russia. Well, if they fire them, we'll shoot them down with lasers. <laughs> Sadly, this was pretty much science fiction. There was no way we were ever going to accomplish this. If you think we have the ability to shoot down nuclear weapons, well, let me point out an article that I found from 2022 this year, and an expert on the subject was quoted to have said, despite monumental advances in physics, computing, and AI, the engineering problem of missile interception has yet to be solved. So in the event of nuclear war, I hate to break it to you, but don't plan on any missiles being shot down in space. Ain't gonna happen. So when it boils down to it, yes, the chance for nuclear weapons to be used right now is pretty high because Putin's fucking crazy. 
course, six years ago, y'all were like, well, if we vote Trump to be president, he's certainly going to just wake up in the night and decide to push a button and fire nuclear missiles. I would never, ever do that, okay? I like life. Life is good. In the event that Putin falls completely off his rocker, let's talk about the largest U.S. targets presumed for a nuclear attack. Those would include New York City, Washington, D.C., Dallas, Jacksonville, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Houston, and Phoenix. Well, based on my mapping that I did with nuke maps, I'm in the clear on those... Let's look at the flip side. What are the safest U.S. areas or lack of being targeted? That would include North and South Dakota, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, Kansas, Maine, Oregon, Northern California, and Western Texas. Hold on, Dakotas and Nebraska. Not so fast. You happen to be in a high-risk fallout zone because of those damn pesky winds. He's like the wind through my tree. And also in the high-risk fallout zone would include Colorado, Missouri, and Montana. Oh man, they're going to have to cancel the next season of Yellowstone. Have I freaked you out or scared you in all of this talk about nuclear war? Oh, crap, that's terrifying. It was not my intent, but if I did, good. Because guess what? We all need to have some level of preparedness for some kind of catastrophe. Doesn't even have to be nuclear war. It could be a random earthquake or just something that cuts you off from society for a couple days or a week. So before wrapping up, I want to give you guys some pointers on how to prepare for a global catastrophe or even a local catastrophe. First off, know where you're going to go in your home in the event of this type of emergency. If you have a basement, that's where you want to go. Concrete walls underground. If you don't have a basement, well, sucks for you. Because there's a good chance your windows are getting blown out. Buy a roll of just plastic sheeting. You can go find these in your local hardware store, like where the paint aisle is. It would be something someone might put down. It's just industrial thick sheeting. I own a roll. Don't ask me why. It's not for emergency reasons, but now it is. You'll also want a couple rolls of duct tape. Why am I bringing this up? Well, let's give an example. If the event of a nuclear bomb dropped in Columbus, Ohio, I'm relatively outside the range of danger, but for a few days, I'm going to want to hunker down. So what I would want to do is put myself in the basement, but shit like radiation can seep through little cracks and the cat door. So I would put up that plastic sheeting around the perimeter of that door and also around the perimeter of the the one small little window in the basement. 
Another thing you can do is stock up on canned goods and water. Canned goods are great because you don't need to cook them to eat them. Matter of fact, when I was younger and did a lot of camping, I actually got to the point where I started to enjoy like Chef Boyardee ravioli just straight out of the can, room temperature. I didn't need to cook it. Capital D for me, delicious. It is absolutely delicious. But whatever canned goods you have, make sure you balance that out a little bit. Make sure you got some protein in there, some veggies. You don't just want 170. 75 cans of corn. You have to make sure that you're going to provide energy for your body and a balanced diet if it's coming out of a can. If you have a pet like I do with Gooby McGill, make sure that you have like an extra bag of pet food that you don't use that's just there in the event that it is needed. Guess what? Speaking of pets and yourself, you're all going to need to make poos and peas. So think about how am I going to do that? Is it going to happen in my sump pump? Is that my new toilet? What's going on here? How am I going to store and dispose of my animal and or human waste? And with everything I basically just discussed, ideally all you really need to plan on, at least in regard to like a nuclear situation, would be, you know, like three days worth of shit. That's about it. You don't need two weeks worth of food and water. Three days, you'll be fine. Science has proven that after 48 hours after a nuclear explosion, the radiation in the immediate area will have decreased to no more than 1% what it was when the bomb was dropped. And this is in the blast radius. For example, in the Hiroshima blast, data has shown that at the center of the blast, the epicenter, ground zero, the radiation was only one one thousandth at what it was during the blast, only 24 hours after the bomb had been dropped. Within one week, it was one one millionth. So if you can make it through three days hunkered down, you're pretty much cool to step outside. Also, you might want to get a radio, you know, one that relies on batteries because you might lose power and you want to hear what's going on in the outside world. Just something cheap you can get on Amazon, but make sure that you have backup batteries for that radio. All right, that's all I have to discuss about going nuclear and the chances of nuclear war in our immediate future. I'm sorry if I scared the shit out of a bunch of you, but you gotta wake up and be aware of what's happening in our world. Sadly, most news outlets aren't really making this a big thing. They're ignoring it. And you know what? Maybe it's not a big thing, but I'm gonna be very clear. It's not a little thing, especially right fucking now. Please don't forget to go follow me on social media on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff. Until next time, I'm Jeff. Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later, let's play Global Thermonuclear War. Fine. Yeah, Jeff. Good night. to the devil and I prayed and I showed him the mess that I've made 